There was no way. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. Huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah once. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? Trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome, everyone, to the Tim Graham Show. I'm Jonah Bronstein sitting in for Tim Graham this week. We got Bobby Rosati handling the production elements of this show. Got a lot going on today. In the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to have Niagara coach Greg Paulus. We're going to then have UB basketball coach Jim Weitzel. We're also going to check in with Matthew Fairburn down at the Senior Bowl. And we're going to try to figure out where Tim Graham is. This has been kind of a regular occurrence of late. The Tim Graham Show with no Tim Graham. Me and Bobby are here left to scramble without him. We're going to find out where Tim is, why he's not here. There's a rumor that he's on house arrest. I don't know if that's true or not. We're going to try to get Tim on the phone and figure out exactly why he's not here to do his show, the Tim Graham Show, without Tim Graham. Presented by CTBK. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. You can find them on Twitter at, at CTBK45. We're also going to be visited by Joe Yurden. Here, Joe's actually popping in here right now. Athletic Sabres writer, radio veteran, Albany, right, Joe? That's right. Joe's a radio professional, which I can't say that about myself. <laughs> I'll reluctantly say it about Bobby. <laughs> Tim Graham is a radio professional, although he's being shirking his professional duties by not being here for this show today. A lot lately. Bobby's trying to track him down. We got a lot to get into with the local sports. Maybe talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. There's some local angles there. Damone Harris, Bishop Timon, University of Buffalo. He's playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. Also have Jody Fortson, he's a Buffalo native, on the Chiefs practice squad. He won't play in the Super Bowl, but he's having the Super Bowl experience as well. Bills fans familiar with Sammy Watkins, LaShawn McCoy, he was inactive for the AFC Championship game, so I'm not so sure he'll be active for the Super Bowl, but again, he's on the team. So there are, the Bills aren't in the Super Bowl, but there's Buffalo elements to the Super Bowl. How do you feel about the Super Bowl, Joe? Excited by it. I think this... It's a nice, classic, big offense team against a team that can defend and run. I think it's fun. I, I think the Niners are a real wild card. I mean, they're great. I mean, great this year. But they're a real wild card because they can run all over you where you have just Jimmy throw the ball all over the place to either Kittle or, like, random assortments of whoever. So I think that they're, they're really interesting. I, Chiefs show up the way they have the last two playoff games. I think they might get in a hole they can't climb out of. Right, they've had to come back in their two playoff wins, and San Francisco is a better defense than the Houston Texans or the 
Tennessee Titans, although that's a pretty good defensive team as well, mm-hmm. that Kansas City beat to get to the Super Bowl. So if they find themselves down two or three touchdowns as they had in these two playoff games, the way San Francisco plays defense, especially their pass defense, might make it tough for Patrick Mahomes to bring them back. But this Kansas City offense has looked unstoppable aside from the first few drives. But when they turn it on, when they kind of have their ears pinned back and they're coming back, it looks like you really can't stop Patrick Mahomes and all that speed, all those weapons from marching down the field and scoring points. It'll be interesting. I think an interesting Buffalo angle on the Super Bowl, too, is Andy Reid. He is a mentor of Sean McDermott. He's a coach who's had a lot of success in the NFL but hasn't won a Super Bowl. There have been playoff losses in Kansas City and Philadelphia where maybe there was clock management issues that people have blamed Andy Reid for. So if he can win a Super Bowl, I think that reflects well on Sean McDermott. And if they don't win the Super Bowl, I don't know if that reflects poorly on Sean McDermott, but it's another kind of chink in the armor for Andy Reid, and you wonder – you know, does that? Yeah. Or what do you think, Joe? Do you it's, think that has anything to do with Sean McDermott and his legacy and how we should look at his coaching ability? I think you could look at it as a, as a thing where I think in McDermott's case, like they they got one of his disciples before it became cheek to to grab somebody, you know, an assistant or whatever. You think of all the Belichick guys that that all got snagged up after they won Super Bowls, and it was like, oh well, we get this assistant, we're gonna we're gonna go on to success. And I mean, that hasn't really happened at all before. But like in McDermott's case, you know, they got him. You know, while you know, while Andy Reid was still kind of you know maybe a pa- you know sort of a punchline, but not but not really. I mean, he's respected, but people like to pick on the, you know the, the time management and you know sometimes the way he acts in the sideline or or whatever you know what have you. But I mean, it's uh, to me, I think if he wins the Super Bowl, obviously it looks a lot better. It's like, well, hey, this this guy this guy learned from him. This guy's a good coach. I think you can say that no matter what. But it always helps to have that Super Bowl win next to the name to be able to say like well all right well this guy this guy learned from him so that's got to be a good thing it can't be a bad thing it's just it still falls on the guy to be able to to do the job but I mean it's nice it's a little nice nice little thing for the resume yeah I think if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl that reflects well on Sean McDermott being an Andy Reid disciple and if they lose it probably doesn't extrapolate for that so it's kind of a no yeah a no lose situation in that yeah, it's regard. not a killer but I mean be nice, it'd be nice to be able to say, like, hey, our, our coach learned from a guy who won a, won a Super Bowl and doesn't have that Patriots, you know, taint to him, I guess, I, I suppose. But um, that, that to me, that to me, that, that's a fun sideline. I mean, we're going to, we're already tired of the Pat Mahomes talk, I think, already. I think we're at peak talk with that. We're probably not tired of it. I'm sure that discussion could go I'm not forever. tired of watching him play. Oh, no. He's, he's awesome. He's awesome. And, and, and but like the, the wannabe debates that happen about it kind of drive me nuts. And I think, you know, I've never been the type that disliked or had animosity towards the Patriots and their success. Mm-hmm. But over the years, I got a little bored with it. I think it's nice that they're not in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. It was the same storylines. It was, you know, Belichick's not very forthcoming with the media. Tom Brady isn't the most colorful character. Mm-hmm. I think it's nice having a Super Bowl with some fresh faces, some fresh characters, fresh storylines. Because as great as the Patriots are, it's sort of like a television show that hit the end of its run. A little sick of seeing them in the Super Bowl in these high-profile situations. And it's nice that we have different teams and you know, probably the best offense in the league against one of the two best defenses in the league. And that's always a a really interesting styles clash and to see how that works out. And and both these teams, San Francisco has had a good offense as well and 
Kansas City's defense has played better. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's since they signed Damone Harris that's been maybe the catalyst for them. Yeah. And they've been better down the stretch than they were earlier in the season or last season. And a big difference why maybe they got to the Super Bowl this year and didn't last year when Mahomes was the MVP. I mean, we, we talk about how Kansas City hasn't dealt with a, with a defense like the Niners. Has the Niners defense dealt with an offense like Kansas City's? Like at all this season? I mean, I would think the Rams would have been close, but the Rams were like a shadow of themselves this season. And the Saints are a good offense. I'd have to think back to did they yeah. play them with Drew Brees or not? Yeah, they, Jimmy G won that game against the Saints toe to toe with Drew Brees, so it, he did. But their defense, I think, it was like forty eight forty five or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you're, to your point, when they do play those teams, it's tough. But they did hold Lamar Jackson to what seventeen points, or was it twenty one? I can't remember, but pr- pretty low. So there's arguments on both sides there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to me. I, I I you know, and did the Saints have Kamara when they played when they played him? That's I think I think point. that's another that's one too. That's a great point. Not I mean, not that Kansas City has a running back like Kamara. I mean, nobody's got a running back like him, but it's still another part to that offense. I mean, it's Breeze, and you know that offense was really innovative. But I mean, Kamara is a different guy. Where you know, it's like having it's like Tennessee. It's like having Tennessee with Derrick Henry, except they have a real passing game and a, and a and a quarterback who's a little bit more in touch than I mean, Tannehill had a nice and a nice comeback story, but he's not, he's not Drew Brees. All right, Bobby, have we located Tim Graham? We have. We indeed have. We're not certain where he is. Forcing us to do a little bit of a remix. Everybody likes a remix, right? Tim, are you with us now? Yeah, I'm, I've been sitting here listening to the show for the last 10 minutes. What do you think? You've been falling asleep? <laughs> no, there's a lot of um, a lot of nuance to the coaching uh, matchup, I think, in this game. And maybe it's more interesting to me this year because it's two new coaches. And you get so sick of talking about Bill Belichick. Um, but I like what you were saying there about Andy Reid. This is a legacy game for him, probably. He's, I think he could get into the Hall of Fame, even if he doesn't win a Super Bowl. But Super Bowl gets him into the Hall of Fame. This is a guy with 207 career wins already. He's averaged 10 wins over 21 years in the NFL. Uh, he's got a 618 winning percentage. So he's accomplished a lot. Um, and he's one of, I think, four coaches to take two different teams to a Super Bowl. So his resume is impressive. You win the Super Bowl, and I think, uh, and then I think Andy Reid's, uh, he gets in. And then Kyle Shanahan's interesting, too. And uh, he, he's interesting to me from a different standpoint, though. I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that the NFL needs to do away with nepotism and its coaching ranks somehow uh, to help in terms of minority hiring at the at the entry-level positions of the NFL, not just a Rooney rule that gets guys uh, a chance uh, just to get minorities a chance to interview for head coaching jobs or GM jobs, but these entry-level jobs that so often go to coaches' sons, uh, many of whom, and I wrote about it last year uh, for The Athletic, many of whom didn't even play college football. And, uh, you know, Pete Carroll has a couple of sons uh, who are on his staff coaching positions, and neither of them, I want to say one of them was a college lacrosse player, maybe both of them. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to go back and look. But anyways, there's a lot of guys who didn't even uh, – or co- quarterbacks coaches who never even played the position because they came in as quality control coaches under, uh, under their father or uh, an uncle. And, and so anyway, a little bit of a ramble there. But I, I think that 
a lot of people look at Kyle Shanahan and say, see, look, uh, he's got the DNA. Well, this is, a, uh, this is an outlier. I mean, the nepotism generally doesn't work. And, um, and so uh, he's, he's proving uh, that the 49ers were correct in hiring him. Uh, but the exposure that he got all along the way, and you, and you think about it with other coaches and their sons and uh, the opportunities that are out there, uh, guys getting um, not getting the same opportunities um, as Bill Belichick's kids get, uh, even though they didn't play college football, or Pete Carroll's kids, or uh, Norv Turner insisting that if you're going to hire me, you have to hire my son too on the staff. Uh, same with uh, Gary Kubiak, uh, who was great for Minnesota this year, but wouldn't be hired by anybody unless you hired his son too. So anyways, that's a little bit of a, a little bit of a rant uh, on the, the state of football, but I think it's a uh, interesting coaching conversation to be had uh, with these two guys. Do you think, as we were talking about at the top of the show, how do you view this from a Bills fan lens? If Andy Reid wins a Super Bowl, does that mean anything to Bills fans and how they should perceive Sean McDermott or is that kind of a reach they haven't worked together in that many years one's an yeah. offensive coach one's a defensive I say, coach I say it's a bit of a reach uh you do you know and plus it's it's Andy Reid's offense and Sean McDermott is a defensive coach and you would like to think that Andy Reid winning a Super Bowl maybe um portends something like maybe he, but I, I think that whatever Sean McDermott has learned from Andy Reid he already has and and he's turned over the offense to to others uh, since he's been the Bills coach. He's just not, it's not his thing. Um, but the opportunity that Andy Reid gave uh, Sean McDermott in Philadelphia, just turning over the defense to him at such a young age, obviously without that, uh, the ability to do that and to get the hands-on experience or the uh, in-game experience like he had, Sean McDermott wouldn't be where he is. Um, but yeah, I don't think that what Andy Reid does really matters. I think to me, and I, I know that Joe Yurden was just talking about it, I, the Patrick Mahomes discussion in Buffalo is already old. It's gotten, it's gotten intense. It's gotten um, kind of bitter, right? you know, whether it be from media or fans. I, I'm actually, uh, I'm, it's not a secret where I am. I'm, I'm at uh, the Pro Bowl and I uh, I was talking to Tredavious White about it after practice this morning. I'll have a story coming up on The Athletic um, any minute. I might even post it while we're on here, depending on uh, when the editing process gets done with it. But I talked to uh, Tredavious White about it. He understands it. And uh, in, in today's NFL, the quarterback is king. And no matter how great you are as a cornerback, and let's face it, Tredavious White is great. He's one of the two best cornerbacks in the NFL, as voted uh, by uh, the All-Pro selectors um and any analytical measure uh, still the the idea that uh, your cornerback can be as important to your team as a quarterback just doesn't wash in today's nfl and, and pat mahomes mvp last year the best player in the league of any position now taking the chiefs to the super bowl i think that when i think the bills are going to be rooting <laughs> for the 49ers uh, Bills fans, I should say, are going to be rooting for the 49ers next Sunday just so they don't have to deal with the idea that the Chiefs drafted maybe the best player in the NFL uh, and maybe a, a future Hall of Famer. That's early to say, but a guy's already won an MVP and has gone to the Super Bowl, that he was drafted with the Bills pick. And, um, and, and there's some justification going on from Bills fans, too. Well, it wouldn't have worked had he been drafted in Buffalo, 
And to that, I'd say, well, then you don't ever draft a quarterback just because you think, are you that much of a defeatist mentality that you think my team is so awful at developing quarterbacks, there's no point in even drafting a good one? Well, we've seen what Patrick Mahomes can do. So that yeah, it's just these things that are going to be bouncing around Western New York over the next 10 days. And I think Patrick Mahomes is, is going to be prominent um, in, every, in every Bills fan's mind as, as this game um, as it approaches and as they watch it uh, on Super Bowl, on Super Joel Sunday, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, congratulations on your Pro Bowl birth, Tim. Thank you. It's, it's my second. Uh, I've been here. This is my second time I've been here. Um, so two Pro Bowls. Um, I don't know how I can do any better. I can't be Pro Bowl or All Pro. There's no All Pro thing for me to cover. So, um, but yeah, it's good. I had a nice chat with Buddha Baker today. That was nice. I I, insi- I told myself that no matter what, I was going to interview Buddha Baker, just to just to do it, and uh, that was fun. Now, the Bills have three players played in the Pro Bowl. Correct. Tre'Davious White was initially voted in. Tremaine Edmonds and Andre Roberts have been added as alternates. What do you make yeah, of... Yeah, Jermaine Edmonds for injury and uh, Andre Roberts as um, uh, to replace uh, Mecole Hardman because he's playing in the Super Bowl. From what I understand, too, Josh Allen was one spot away from being named to this Pro Bowl team. I think he was the next alternate. Uh, so if one of the AFC quarterbacks wasn't able to go, uh, the Bills would have sent uh, Josh Allen to the, to the Pro Bowl. And... Uh, Maybe then the Bills fans obviously would uh, would almost certainly be pointing to that as well. We got a Pro Bowl quarterback too, so we don't need Patrick Mahomes. We'll take Trey White, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, and uh, and Josh Allen. Uh, although I'd, I'd hesitate. Well, no, I'm not going to hesitate to say it. I'll say it. If it were the other way around, how many Bills fans would know who Tr- Tre'Davious White and Tremaine Edmonds were? Now. You'd probably like to think, if you're a Bills fan, hey, I'm a smart football player. I should know who one of the best cornerbacks in the league is. But I could name you probably a dozen multi-pro bowlers, and uh, and people would struggle to tell me what team the guy even plays for. So I, I, I'm sure that if it were the other way around, Bills fans would be laughing at the idea of trading Patrick Mahomes away for Josh Allen, Tredavious White, and Tremaine Edmonds. Thing the Bills Kansas fan. City Chiefs wouldn't trade Patrick Mahomes for the entire Bills defense. <laughs> Maybe if you threw in a first-round pick. Multiple. Another thing, Bills fans, when the Pro Bowl selections were announced, there was a lot of talk about snubs, that the Bills, I think they were 9-4 and four at the time, or 10-4 and four at the time, and that they were one of the better teams in the league and only had one player voted in as a, uh, you know, a first-ballot Pro Bowler, if you want to call it that. What do you make of that? Do you think that the Bills deserved more Pro Bowl players? Is that sort of balanced out with a couple of these guys getting late invitations? That's a good question. It has balanced itself out for sure. Um, if I were to pick three Pro Bowlers off this Bills roster, I don't think Andre Roberts would be one of them. Um, you know, he's like somebody like Jordan Phillips. Um Boy, uh, I mean, the offensive line, I don't know who you might take off of there. There's some good players, but um, the receivers, there are so many g- really good receivers all around the NFL who don't who don't make Pro Bowl. Uh, in fact, it's pretty stunning sometimes you have to go and take a look at, at guys who are known as really good football players around the league who've never made the Pro Bowl. Um, so, yeah, I think three's good, but I, I think uh, this, this is a – 
probably not the ideal three. Um, same thing with running backs. Like Devin Singletary, did he have a Pro Bowl caliber season if you want to take out the time that he was injured? Eh, maybe. Uh, but um, but there are so many good running backs all around the league and the reputation that's – and it, it does go down to reputation. There's still quite a bit of that. The players and coaches still vote, so – they go and, and the fans go on reputation too. I'm not saying that the fans are the ones that really um, even it out after they were given their vote, you know, 10, 15 years ago, whatever it was. It's not, it's still very reputation based, but uh, yeah, I, I do think it was a bit insulting that the, that the bills got one pro bowler after winning 10 games and, uh, and going to the playoffs. But as you mentioned, not, a lot of obvious Pro Bowl players. It was sort of the Bills in a way where... They were the, a great team. They were a collective. Yeah, the whole was greater than the sum of the parts. Absolutely. You're absolutely right, Jonah. And uh, I guess that's testament to Brandon Bean and, and Sean McDermott, and the team that they've built and uh, what they put together. Yeah, you, you take a look at the defense. Trey White is obvious. Um, who else on there is like a no-doubter and for one of the better defenses in the NFL? It's... Um, yeah, I think that is a testament uh, to the to the team that was put together. Now, is that something maybe as free agency approaches, the Bills have $90 million in cap room, something like that? Do they need more elite, talented players? Do they have young players that we think are going to rise into that? I, you know, I, I think about it maybe in the NBA context. You can't win a championship without a top-ten player in basketball. Can the Bills win a championship if Tredavious White is their only all-pro player? Yeah, I, I think so, uh, because they seem to have a plug-and-play style defense. And a guy like Jordan Phillips, who they just pick up from Miami, oh, by the way, last season, and he turns into the type of player that he did. And that's not to say that you're going to be able just to pick up Jordan Phillips uh, here or there, but they lose Kyle Williams. And I don't think, aside from a leadership standpoint, that they missed him uh, because they were able just to find other guys. And it's the defense that they have. They do have a core of guys like Tremaine Edmonds, um, like Matt Milano, of course, who had a, had a great season, I think is, you know, well, let's not say great, but he had a, a very effective season. Um, the safeties that they have, you know, both uh, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, um, they, you know, they need to find another cornerback uh, to play along to be more reliable, uh, but they may do. And they had, I think that, yes, they can get better. Uh, they should get better. And um, they have Harrison Phillips coming back too. He he didn't play hardly at all this year. He was he was a non-factor because of his knee injury. So he'll be coming back next year. And um, whatever they get in the draft, they'll clearly improve. So um, yeah, I, I think they were very good this year. I think Leslie Frazier's done a great job. I think it's a great thing for the Bills that he didn't get uh, any head coaching interest. Um, it's bad for Leslie Frazier. I think he probably should have gotten an interview or two at least. But um, the fact that he's back and Sean McDermott uh, together, I think that's uh, the continuity that, that allows a little more plug-and-play um, situations uh, to, uh, to, to, not, to not matter. And, and players will get better, like Tremaine, like, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, because he's so young, and, and Tredavious White, too. It's hard to imagine Tredavious White getting much better than he was this year. Six interceptions to uh, tie for the NFL lead, didn't give up a touchdown. But uh, you have to think that if, if he if he stays at it and, and works as hard as he has through his first three seasons, and there's no reason to think he won't, uh, that that he'll get better. Tim, do you like the Pro Bowl? 
I know it gets picked on a lot. It still does crazy good ratings for for whatever reasons. But do you like it? Do you think it's a the ratings are better than any Stanley Cup game? Yeah, and I think that includes Game Seven. You know, yeah. uh, if there if it reaches a Game Seven, um, no, I think it's ridiculous. It's stupid. <laughs> it's a money grab, and I can understand why the NFL does it. I don't think that they should get rid of it, but I have zero use for it. Um, it's a great it's a great event to cover uh, during the week because. It's a laid-back atmosphere, and um, the players are accessible. And for me, it's always been more productive than the Super Bowl, which is a, a grind and very. Uh, rest- it gets more and more restrictive every year, as to from a media standpoint. So now, Pro Bowl for me is all about the the media aspect of it, and uh, the game is useless. And you're down there for Disney World, really, right? Well, I will be uh, going to the Magic Kingdom, and uh, I'm actually at the Wide World of Sports right now, which is part of the Disney complex. Um, so, yeah, it feels like I'm at Disney anyway. It's not. It was 37 degrees for practice this morning, so it's not like I'm I'm living it up down here. Chilly. Well, Tim, we'll let you go. We'll let you enjoy that <laughs> frosty weather and. You gonna make it to an Orlando Magic game? I know you're talking about maybe checking them out. I don't even know if they're home. I didn't even get that far, so no, I don't think so. <laughs> don't waste your time. I, <laughs> I have uh, another early practice to cover tomorrow. I'm not really, you know, you don't cover practice. You're gonna I think live they ran tweet about seven plays. I, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe now that the cat's out of the bag, I'll go ahead and uh, live tweet practice. Um, I didn't even see Tremaine Edmonds today. I saw Andre Roberts, and yeah, it's it's just a it's a schmozzle. They just get down here, and they and it was so cold and windy that everybody was just huddled up for warmth. I don't know that they accomplished anything. It's football, but weather. Uh, it's not. It's true, uh, but you know, I don't think I'm going to see any Oklahoma drills tomorrow. <laughs> well, Tim, we really appreciate you calling into your own radio show. I enjoyed it. I enjoy being a guest in my own home. And um, guys, just make sure you don't step on the logo. All right, that was Tim Graham, the namesake of this show, joining us on the Thunderwolves hotline. Come join the winning team at Niagara County Community College. We'll be back after this break. say I was in the mountains and I traveled dimensionally like transmutative alchemy and um, when I said package yeah okay like I said traveled dimensionally not only um, back in time but also through space this is sports radio 1270 the fan yes Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, presented by CTBK, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. You can find them on Twitter at, at CTBK45. I'm Jonah Bronstein, sitting in for Tim, who's on assignment at the Pro Bowl. You can find me on Twitter at, at LeBronstein. Also joined by Joe Yurden from The Athletic. What's your Twitter handle, Joe? Find me at Joe Yurden. If you don't know how to spell my name, then Clever. you're kind of screwed. 
Joe covers the Buffalo Sabres for The Athletic. It's true. The Sabres are off all week. It's the all-star break. Where are, We know where the Sabres are. They're outside the playoff picture. Mm-hmm. What Preview the second half a little bit for us. What are the chances the Sabres could maybe make a run for that eighth playoff spot or one of the final two playoff spots, a wild card? It's um, We're going to find out what they're about immediately because they've got, well, I think it's five of their first six and nine of the first ten games out of the break at home. And they are a great home team this year. They are, they're, I think their win percentage is 750 at home. I mean, they've defended home ice, which is pretty stark contrast to previous seasons where they didn't win at home or on the road. But um, Yeah, they've won most of the games. I cover about half the games for the Associated Press, and they've won more often than not when I've been there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, your chances have been pretty good to see a win when, you, when you've stepped in there. If you've seen only losses, that would be be a remarkable stroke of of bad fortune i guess but um you know in the tank season the sabers had a winning record in games i covered how many did you cover that year about five but i think they were all like of them too <laughs> wow so you were there for every every home win <laughs> um oh we laugh because the pain the pain hurts too much but it's it's the kind of thing where if they don't come out of the gates come out of that break flying you got to start considering making your trades right away. I mean, the trade deadline's February 24th. They've got a ton of games leading up to that. I mean, it, the schedule in February is packed. I think it's 29 days in February this year, and they have games in, I think, 15 of them. A lot of home games. It's a lot of home games, too. And I think the one road game they've got in that first 10 games is, is at Madison Square Garden. So, I mean, you know, whatever. Short flight away, it's not not a big deal. And, I mean, they got their, they got their butts kicked in New York by the Rangers earlier this season. But... Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's the kind of thing where if they have a serious hope of of making a run at getting getting into the thick of things, they gotta they gotta go on a run, and they gotta take care of home ice. They gotta beat these teams. You know, you got Ottawa coming in first thing; they're not so great. Uh, they've got Detroit a couple of times coming up. Detroit's terrible. Detroit is reminding people of how bad the the fourteen fifteen tank sabers were, which is not not a good compliment for them because. They're not exactly built to tank. The Sabres were. This, this Detroit team just is It's not built that way. But, you know, ev- everything that can and could go wrong has gone wrong for them. But, you know, that's that should be automatic to wins, you know, especially considering, you know, you had Zach Bogosian score against them. Evan Rodriguez scored twice against them in Detroit a few weeks ago. It, it it it's those are the kinds of games where if it's even a fight, it's like, well, what's going wrong here? We, you got to address this. But... Um, it, the pi- playoffs are almost in that pipe dream sort of fit right now because they're what nine, about nine points out of the wild card or third place in the division. I, I couldn't unlock my phone because it's not recognizing my face, but, um, but it, they're in a spot where it's not great. There's a lot of teams. They got to jump. It's, you know, games go to the later the season goes, the, the games tend to go to more three point games because everybody just wants to pull in points and, you don't get anywhere when there's three point games all over the place. I mean, they're let's see, 51 points. They're nine back of Columbus in the second wild card. They're 10 back of uh, Florida Panthers for the third spot in the yeah. Atlantic Division. And Florida's playing great um, with the Maple Leafs in between them at six yeah. points ahead of the same. And the Leafs are playing pretty bad right now. I mean, it, it's it's pretty startling to, to to see that. But I mean, you know, the Flyers are playing great. Montreal was hot. They've cooled off. I think Montreal and Buffalo are about in the same boat. 
uh, respectively. But, I mean, that turns those games, I think they've got three with Montreal in the second half, that turns those games into automatic must-win in regulation games. Not just the overtime, but you got to win them in regulation. You can't let them steal a point because you're get, you're only getting one point up on them if you win. It's, it's how convoluted this whole system is. I, they should just do a 3-2-1 point system. You know, if you, if you win a regulation, you get three. If it goes to overtime, well, you can't get three anymore. The best you can do is two. And then if it goes to overtime shootout, you're getting a point if you lose either way. So, I mean, long, long story short, they've got it. They're up to their ears in trouble. But they, they, they if they can win th- th- that this opening stretch, if they can win, you know, I'd say 90% of those games, that 9 out of 10, win 9 out of 10 of those, very tough to do. Uh, they'll be in a better spot. But that's that's kind of stating the obvious. But if the Sabres do heat up and make a bit of a run, what do you think is more likely, that they can get that wild card spot or that they get one of the three Atlantic Division spots? I think the wild card is the bigger hope for them. Uh, I think Florida's playing too well, and that's even with Bobrovsky being kind of a – he's been kind of a wild card all year. I mean, he's great. But, I mean, he spent the first half of the year – or the first couple months of the season just not playing very well. Uh, but Florida can score with anybody. Uh, Huberdeau and Barkov are incredible. They're getting guys like uh, Noel Achari and uh, Frank Vetrano. Like these are no-name guys that they that the Bruins gave up on that are just suddenly scoring goals for them. Those two guys combined have more than thirty, and it's those are guys you'd be lucky to pull thirty from and combine over two seasons. So they're they're in a spot where catching Florida seems tough. I think that, but that that wild card spot is really volatile because anybody who gets hot in that in that area for the wild card could either run away with it or steal themselves into position where they can, they can snag it. Now that's where Buffalo's in that position to do. I mean, Columbus is playing great lately. That's why they're in there. Same thing for the flyers. They've been able to hold leads somehow, you know, they, they're making do with injuries and whatnot, but so is everybody else, but it's, it's they're they're, they're in a tough spot, but I think the wild card is probably the more hopeful one. Joe, if the Sabres, finish strong, but don't get all the way to making the playoffs. But it's a positive feeling coming out of the end of the season with, with the way they're playing and maybe the the record in the last month of the season, something like that. Would that be considered a successful season in Ralph Kruger's first year, that they are better than last year, or is it playoffs or bust? Is this team at a point where if they don't make the playoffs, it's not a good season? I think the fans are at a spot where it's like, we should be in the playoffs by now. It's been eight, nine seasons. It's time. But would you agree with that? No, I wouldn't, because this is there's been so much turnover with the GM and the coaches. I mean, we're talking about a guy coaching this team who's coaching for the first time since you know, 12, 13, you know that, and that was his only NHL head coaching job. So this is, I mean, this is a big, it's a big change as far as that goes. Um, but I mean, as far as being better than last year, I mean, that that bar set pretty low. Uh, the team finished very bad last year. You know, there was there was all kinds of just like bad feelings at as the season closed because I think everybody everybody liked Phil Housley. But by the end of the time, it was just like, all right, whatever he's telling us is just it doesn't work anymore, and he keeps telling us the same message, so we can't. You know, we we can't listen to that as it goes, and um, but it's it's in a weird spot because there's a ton of pressure on Jason Bottrell, and I mean the fans want him to make trades, but nobody's making trades. Everybody has cap problems, um, and they want a lot of change. They want you know they want new forwards. They want to get the the guys that want out gone, and it's not that easy. I mean Zach Bogosian wants out. He makes five he makes five million against the cap. You can't move him unless you take that kind of money in return. Same for Evan Rodriguez. He's two million against the cap. 
should be easier to move him, but $2 million, there's 18 to 20 teams within $2 million of the cap. That's really hard to try to even just move him, even if you're going to take a pick or a prospect in right. return. And, and Jason Bottrell's probably not driving a hard bargain for guys that are being healthy scratches. Like There's a lot of criticism that he's not making a trade. I think he would like to have made several trades by now. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, you, you got to trade either of those guys for like a sixth-round pick. I mean, sure, you could, but you're going to get killed for it. I mean, Rodriguez still has a lot of – there's a lot of value to be had there, even though his offense has been – not very good this year, you know. Bad luck, hot goalies, whatever you want to call it. But, um, but as far as you know, trying to swing other deals, like if you're going to make a, you know, if you're going to be brash and like move Arista line in to try to get a top six forward or something like that, well, that, there's a lot of moving parts that are involved with making a deal that big. And in a cap world, it's tough to put all the pieces together, especially when you have, I think it's like ten teams are using long-term injured reserve to spend over the cap. So. You know, it, it's it's a thing where this would be this would be a huge benefit to have a soft cap where it's a luxury tax system where, you know, hey, if you go over it, it's like okay, well, you're gonna get punished for it, but you know, you gotta pay, you know, you gotta pay a couple million dollars. Well, whoop de doo. T- teams that want to spend over it, they can afford it, and teams that don't want to spend over it aren't going to. But that's not the world they live in. Owners wanted a hard cap, and now they can't make any moves. So. Um, but that, but as far as the Sabers go, this is this is the kind of thing where, if you want a drastic shakeup move, it's very difficult to do during the season. In the in the summer, it should happen, and you could argue pretty well that any moves like that should have happened over the summer, but they just didn't. Are you asked Tim in our last segment if he cared about the Pro Bowl <laughs> NHL All Star Game is this Sunday? Do you care about the NHL All Star Game? Not really. It does. It. I mean, they've done a lot of things to try to make it stand out. And, you know, I love the three-on-three format. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's a ton of fun to watch. I love the skills competition. I'm a huge dork that way. But, I mean, as far as the game itself, I mean, yeah, a winning team gets a million bucks. But, I mean, these guys are all paid a lot of money anyways. To see them carve up a million bucks seven ways doesn't really doesn't really do it for me. But it's it's a lot of fun to watch. But, I mean, I don't know. I grew up watching the, the, the old Campbell Conference versus Wales Conference games. And I loved watching them, but, like, they were throwaway games. It's not – the, the way hockey's really played until like the last 10 minutes of a game. And if it's close, that's the only way you'd see anything resembling hockey in any way. But this, at least this, it gets the competitive juices going. But I mean, as far as being there, like even as a media, I was there in 2011 in Raleigh. The skills competition was way more fun than the game. I mean, they had a goalie, the fastest goalie skating competition and Tim Thomas just about, you know, about wrecked himself going around the ice trying to win that. And, you know, you had Zdeno Chara and Shea Weber in the, the hardest shot finals. I mean, that was was great. Like, that was that was like rock star kind of stuff. But, you know, it's it's basically super dorky stuff for super fans that, that love that. And uh, I don't know how hard a lot of fans go in on that, especially as you get older. You get older, you don't care. All right, well, speaking of all-star games, in a sense, the Senior Bowl is being played this week down in Mobile, Alabama, we're going to catch up with Matthew Fairburn, who's down there covering that for The Athletic. You're the only athletic writer that's not at an All-Star game this week, I think, The Athletic Buffalo. Well, John yeah. Vogel as well. Well, yeah I, yeah, I don't think we needed to be in St. Louis. I think we're, I think we're okay. All right. We'll be back after this break on the Tim Graham Show. In my hometown Everybody was in it For miles around the fan.
Back behind the wheel of the Tim Graham Show, presented by CTBK, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. You can find them on Twitter at CTBK45. I'm Jonah Bronstein, joined by Joe Yurden from The Athletic, Bobby Rosati behind the board, and our normal co-host, Matthew Fairburn, is down covering the Senior Bowl for The Athletic. Matt, you with us? I sure am, Jonah. How are you? Are you jealous that you're not here, or would you rather be in Mobile? Oh, it's tough. You know, today it has warmed up a little bit, but yesterday we got practically Buffalo weather oh down here in Mobile. Standing outside for five hours of football and, and 30 degrees, it was uh, definite, definite football guy weather down here. Well, that sounds like a good way for the Bills coaches and administrators and scouts to see who can play in this buffalo weather yeah you know it was i think the real shame of this week and i'm sure most bills fans will agree mike rodak did not make the trip (laughs) just three hours from um, his home in birmingham to mobile much to my disappointment so um, I've, i've still been i've been recovering from that but yes it's uh otherwise been a pretty productive week what have you had your eye on there, or will you be watching in these practices at the Senior Bowl? Yeah, to me, you know, most of these practice settings are, you know, I'm certainly no no scout, right? So I don't uh, sit here and uh, draw any sort of grand conclusions about about these guys based on what happens this week. But it's a really good chance to talk to a lot of people in the scouting community that are down here, get a feel for not just some of the guys that are down here uh, participating in these practices, but you get a feel for the rest of the draft class, how they, you know, see things shaking out early. Um, those are the people who know, you know, what these guys are all about. Uh, and those are the people who know uh, how the next few months are going to play out and what the draft might look like because they're the ones making the picks. So, uh, you know, obviously the Bills, Bills brass is down here, caught up with Brandon Bean uh, yesterday and, uh, you know, from the sounds of it, this is a, a really strong group of wide receivers. They had a few guys drop out. Uh, you know, one guy had to fail the physical, so he wasn't able to participate this week. Um, Brian Edwards from South Carolina dropped out right before the week started. You know, a lot of guys decide, you know, an agent gets in their ear and they decide it's not worth it to come down here and risk an injury. But there's still a lot of guys uh, left over, you know, uh, Colin Johnson from Texas, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. from USC, a couple guys from Florida uh, that have impressed. A lot of bigger-bodied receivers that I think Bills fans are going to have their eye on, you know, in the coming months, and uh, some of them have have shined early here. It's a deep draft for receiver, I've read. The Bills clearly need some help at that position. I think the fans and maybe even a lot of the media are pretty fixated on the Bills drafting a receiver in the first round. Do you think they will – Definitely go in that direction, or can they address this position without investing the number one pick in that wide receiver? Yeah, I'd say my gut right now tells me that they won't pick a receiver in the first round, and it's be, you know kind of because of what you mentioned. They don't need to. Um, you know, I talked to Brandon Bean yesterday about that, and he said you know that because of the nature of of the class, you know, he mentioned that last year they felt that if they didn't get Ed Oliver at number nine overall, then they were going to have some trouble addressing that need at defensive tackle just because of where the drop-off was after Oliver. But 
he said this receiver class is not that way. They don't feel like they need to move up or get a guy at 22. They can get one or two guys in, in the second, third, maybe even fourth round with how deep this group is. So at the moment, I don't think they're going to address receiver in the first round unless you know somebody falls to them. There, there are some, some really talented guys, Jerry Judy from Alabama, T. Higgins from Clemson, uh, Ruggs from Alabama. Uh, you know, they've got, there's a, quite a few guys, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. So depending on how it all shakes out in terms of, um, you know, where those guys fall, if there's a good value at 22, you know, they'll, they'll, they're not completely ruling it out, but I think, uh, they're not going to force it either just for the sake of, of getting a receiver. And part of that is just how deep this group is. You know, I'm thinking back to last year, uh, Buffalo quarterback, University of Buffalo quarterback Tyree Jackson was the most outstanding player for the South team at the Senior Bowl. Then you fast forward to the draft, he doesn't get drafted, ends up with the Bills as an undrafted player, doesn't make the roster, never played in the NFL this year, may never play in the NFL. How much does the game matter in that context when the most outstanding player turns out to maybe not be an NFL player? Yeah, the game really doesn't matter a lot, quite frankly. And that nothing, you know, illustrates that more than what you just mentioned about Tyree Jackson. You know, by the time the game comes around, uh, a lot of scouts are already out of town. A a lot of media is already out of town. This is really an event where they like to see the practices, Uh, you know, a practice setting of, you know, the best receiver against the best corner, the best offensive tackle against the best defensive end, and seeing how those guys respond to that. They want to see how, you know, they hand these guys an NFL playbook at the beginning of the week. They want to see how that guy responds to that. They want to get these guys in interview settings, all of that stuff. By the time the game rolls around, you know, Justin Herbert's probably the biggest name down here, the Oregon quarterback. Uh, From what I'm told, he's probably going to play a series or two. You know, his agent doesn't want him out there risking injury. And so because the game is, you know, of that nature where it's, uh, it's not quite the Pro Bowl, right, where it's uh, hardly football, but it's certainly not, uh, you know, the SEC championship game um, where it's, you know, you've been game planning and you've been uh, working with the guys, you know, forever. This is kind of thrown together, and I don't think scouts judge that game too, too harshly, but they take the practice settings pretty seriously. You look, you know, Terry McLaurin, the Washington wide receiver who had a pretty strong rookie season, he was – sort of off, not quite off the radar, but he was viewed as a later round guy who, you know, could contribute on special teams. He came down here last year and had a great week, and all of a sudden, you know, he's getting picked uh, on the second day, and, and, you know, he's having a great rookie season. I even look at Josh Allen. This is where the Bills started to fall for him, you know, and, and think that he was going to be their guy because, you know, the, the meeting settings and and having some of that time with him away from the field. So a lot can happen to a player's stock down here, but when you're watching the game on Saturday, you don't want to get too caught up on who's putting up the big numbers. Now, I understand that you know they have the NFL coaches, and they're you know, usually from a couple of the, the really bad teams that are going to have a lot of draft picks, but is, is there ever concern from other teams watching these guys that maybe they're you know if they're learning NFL playbooks from bad teams it's you're not really getting a full great judgment of how they are as how they could be as pros you know there's i think at times maybe less so with the playbook so the playbooks these guys get aren't like full NFL 
NFL playbook, it's going to be some sort of abbreviated version that they can realistically pick up and get on the same page with within a week. And I think for the most part, people, you're not worried about a guy picking up bad habits from, you know, sloppy coaches in a week. But what I will say is there are times, and uh, I don't know if it's quite this way this season. The Lions are coaching uh, the one team with Matt Patricia, and the Bengals are coaching the other with Zach Taylor. And how they do it is whoever's picking highest in the order that still has their coach from the year before, which usually that means, you know, that's how the Lions end up with it. Um, it's one AFC team and one NFC team. But, you know, sometimes what the problem can become is if it's not the best coaching staff or not, you know, the, the you know, most polished coaching staff, you might have sloppy practices. You might have, like, disjointed and disorganized practices. Every team, every coaching staff runs practices a little bit differently. And if it's not super efficient or conducive to evaluating the players, sometimes that can get pretty frustrating for, for the teams that are down here trying to scout. We're on the Thunderwolves hotline here with Matthew Fairburn covering the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama for the Athletic. Matt, did you know Joe Yurden's a Lions fan? Isn't that kind of bizarre? <laughs> I did know that about Joe. Uh, it, it always kind of floats back into my consciousness once in a while when I see him tweeting about the Lions. It's, uh, it is bizarre. It's also it, It's got to be a little bit of a sad existence. It's punishingly cruel, to say the least. Let's put it that way. He's a Lions fan, and he is a New Orleans Pelicans fan. We're going to get into that a little bit later. I just think Joe just doesn't like playoff games. <laughs> Too much yeah, stress. He, he just he enjoys pain, and he doesn't like fun, apparently. because And, yeah, probably the stress. It, it is a lot of stress, the playoffs, as Bills fans have learned. you got to be careful what you wish for when it comes to playoff games. Does it balance it out if I say I'm a Yankees fan? Does that does that cancel the other three out? I I suppose. Although for a while there wasn't a whole lot of stress in Yankees playoff games either. Yeah. They were just walking their way to the World Series. But that's a that's an odd assortment uh, of teams. It's the beauty of growing up in upstate New York. You don't you don't really have a provincial favorite. I mean, it could have been a Giants fan, I suppose, or could have been a Patriots fan. I live 40 minutes from the mass border, so there's there's a lot that could have been going on there. Instead, I went a very, very deviant path, I suppose. I grew up in Massachusetts, and I was a Jaguars, Flyers, and Diamondbacks fan. So wow. uh, I, who am I to talk? <laughs> All right, Matt, before we get you out of here, can you just give us give us your most sizzling hot take about the Super Bowl? About the Super Bowl? Yes, the NFL championship game coming up next weekend. <laughs> On Super Joel Never. Sunday? Super Joel Sunday? Okay. Super my, Joel Sunday. My, my sizzling hot take is that, ah, do I have a sizzling hot take? Sammy Watkins will score at least one touchdown. Is that a hot take? Yeah. It's a hot take. I don't know about now sizzling, but that's a hot take. If you said LaShawn McCoy would score a touchdown, that would be a sizzling hot take. You only caught me with a joint. <laughs> I, th- I think I'm going to need to let uh, my my hot takes marinate a little bit, uh, and we'll we'll have to we have another week. We've right. got so long between now and the Super Bowl. I feel like uh, I need some time to let these you know takes sit in the oven, and 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 maybe we'll uh, we'll pull the takes out of the oven next Wednesday. Yeah, you'll be back in studio. We'll probably be talking about the Super Bowl for most of that show. Sounds like your takes are half baked, but we got a week <laughs> week for them to mature. All right, thanks for right. Uh, joining us, Matt. That thanks for Matt. having me. Enjoy the rest of the show, fellas. Thanks, Matt.
See you, that man. was Matthew Fairburn on the Thunderwolves hotline. Come join the winning team at Niagara County Community College. We'll be back after the break with Niagara men's basketball coach Greg Paulus, whose team is on a winning streak, and we'll talk to him about how that's come about. The Tim Graham Show. Oh, wait, let's listen to this. I think about the guy who's suffering from addiction to marijuana. He eats from 7-Eleven. The Tim Graham Show. I go to a hot dog stand. As I said, I'm a connoisseur of wieners. I enjoy them. Tell me about your enjoyment of his wieners. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. Welcome back to the second hour of the Tim Graham Show, presented by CTBK, Shampo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. You can find them on Twitter at CTBK45. I'm sitting in for Tim. I'm Jonah Bronstein here with Joe Yurden from The Athletic, producer Bobby Rosati. And joining us now on the Thunderwolves hotline is Niagara men's basketball coach Greg Paulus. The Niagara Purple Eagles have won three in a row, four of their last Five games, or for the last six games, four and two in the MAC. They're tied for first place, four-way tie in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference standings. Welcome to the show, Greg. Jonah, thanks for having me on. How you doing? I'm doing good, real good. Well, tell us a little bit how this has come about. You had a uh, a rough non-conference slate, but now that you've gotten into conference play, you're playing much better. And as I mentioned, we've won three in a row, and right there at the top of the conference standings. What's changed or what's developed for the way you guys are playing on the floor? Well, I, I think, um, you know, we, we did have a difficult non-conference schedule. We're having nine of 11 games on the road. And, uh, you know, when you have a new coach, uh, a new system, a new way of doing things, and, and you bring in uh, a number of new guys, the majority of, of, the, of the team, uh, there were only six returning players. I, I just think it takes time to – implement those things and and uh to, to continue to build that relationship and um so i i've been uh excited about the direction we're going in um we're trying to create that foundation for our program moving forward and um our guys have done a great job working hard and buying into it and um you know our biggest focus has just been continuing to try to get better and um you know i, I think that uh we've seen some of that from the start of the year to uh, a month ago, and, and uh, that's what we're going to try to continue to do moving forward. Having won these last few games and being at the top of the standings about a third of the way through conference play, has that recalibrated any expectations of, of what you guys can accomplish this season? Well, well, for our, our team, and, and I know for our coaching staff and myself, we, we don't talk about that. Um, it's been more about the process of how we want to do things. We want to control the things that we can control. Um, and and those are what we will continue to focus in on. Um, you know, I think it's been fun to watch them continue to believe, continue to work hard, and and um, you know that I think that having some of these games where you're able to find a way to win in a different type of manner each game and have someone step up different each game, 
Um, I think that that has um, continued to bring the group together, and and uh, you know, but but for us, for moving forward, um, it's not going to change the process for which we would like to continue to see growth. One thing I've noticed, looking at some statistics, you guys are one of the best teams in the country at forcing turnovers on defense, and among one of the better teams in the country at avoiding turnovers on offense. How much of that is circumstantial because you're maybe a guard-heavy team, and how much of that is philosophical in, in the way you're playing? Well, I, I think we, we try to put our, our players in positions where they can you know use their strengths and use their gifts. And um, it is something that we talk about every day, uh, valuing the basketball, um, making sure that we try to get a shot each time down the floor. Um, you know, we aren't the tallest team. We're not the strongest team. Um, but one thing we're trying to do is is play harder, continue to play together. Um, we want to be connected, and uh, because we're we're not the biggest and strongest team in terms of rebounding and other areas of the game, um, us taking care of the basketball, creating more possessions uh, by forcing turnovers and and using our uh, quickness or our, our positioning, um, you know that that is a a something in a recipe that we've tried to use to, to help give us the best chance to play to our strengths. And, um, you know, we, we've done a good job of that so far, and hopefully we can continue to do that. In terms of, you mentioned not being one of the biggest teams. I think maybe statistically, if you're not We're the, the shortest, smallest team statistically. <laughs> right, height-wise, the smallest team in the country. How much does that play into the way you run your systems, or do you, you know, do you have to adjust the way you coach because you don't have that height? Or do you coach and run your offense and your defense the way you believe you should and, you know, kind of let that height just be what it is? Yeah, I actually learned that statistic um, in the last game of our non-conference season we were playing at Syracuse. And one of the questions before the game mentioned that, and that was when I learned of that statistic. For us, um, you know, we, we try to use that as a, as a position of strength for us. So, um, you know, off, offensively, you know, hey, maybe we have a little bit more perimeter skills and, and we're going to try to make it harder for teams to guard us because of that. Um, defensively, we'll continue to adjust each and every game to um, try to make teams work hard for it. And, you know, if they want to post certain positions, we may have to do a couple of different things or maybe we have to press a little bit more. And so I think each game is something different. And um, as, as we learn more about our opponents, then we just try to try to do the best we can with uh, what we have, what we can comprehend. And then uh, the more experiences we've gotten, because we're such a young team, um, they're getting more comfortable uh, making these in-game adjustments, making adjustments for each game that we play. And so uh, that's been a part of our growth as well as just the natural experience of going through a college basketball season. I'm curious how this experience this season has been for you uh for our listeners you, you were an assistant at four different schools over the last four seasons came to niagara originally as an assistant uh, elevated the head coach late in the off season or really in the preseason you know what's it been like for you now being a head coach with in a situation that you probably didn't anticipate coming in here well it's it's um you know for for where we're at right now um looking back on our journey in coaching you know like you mentioned i've had uh, four different coaching jobs in four years. And, and, you know, the experiences that I've learned playing for Coach K, playing football for Coach Marone, and then coaching at the Naval Academy, um, Ohio State for Coach Mata for six years, being at Louisville, George Washington, and, and now Niagara. I think all of those things, you, you have an opportunity to learn, um, you know, different ways to do things, run your program, 
been fortunate to have some terrific mentors that I've been able to learn the game from, and I've tried to tap into those experiences. Um, and, and now that uh, we have a chance to have our, our own program, um, we certainly utilize those experiences. And, you know, sometimes uh, there are head coaching changes, and so as an assistant you're, you're tied to the head coach. And, um, you know, you try to find the next opportunity that you feel, feel might be the right one. And when we made the decision to come to Niagara, um, you know, it's an opportunity for us to come back home. I grew up in central New York, Syracuse, New York. Uh, we believe in this university. We thought we had a chance to, to do something special. And, and we really believe in uh, the, the people, the tradition, and, and what we can do here. So having the opportunity to be the head coach here at Niagara is uh, just an amazing opportunity. I'm so grateful for it. And we're, we're going to try to work really hard to make, make this community and the alumni proud. And, and we have a lot of work to do for that. Having played for Mike Krzyzewski down at Duke, maybe the best college basketball coach ever, at least in the conversation, what did you learn from playing under him and, and maybe talking to him over the years that you've been able to apply to coaching the Purple Eagles? Yeah, I, I've learned a great deal. Um, my, my foundation for coaching and leadership is, is from Coach K and my experience of being his point guard for four years. And um, I, I think one of the things that we're trying to do right now as we are uh, creating this culture is, is we want to try to create a standard in all that we do. Um, whether that's on campus, whether that's on the basketball court, in the weight room. Um, you know, we, we've really tried to create a standard for this is how Niagara basketball, this is what we want it to be. And uh, we, we've been able to do that. I've been able to see a lot of progress with that. Um, you know, the approach, the mentality that um, he brings to his players, uh, the confidence and relationship that he had, it's, it's certainly one of the reasons that I wanted to go there. And um, the belief that he was able to give his players is something that. Um, I, I try to give to our players and as we teach them, um, not just on the court, but off the court. And um, I think one of the biggest things, too, as we're going through our program right now is, is a, we call it a next play, um, is that whatever happens on the court, off the court in life, that we just say next play. And, and it allows us to uh, be able to be in the present moment because we want to make that moment the best, best that it can be. And the only way for us to have that is, is to be there and so we, we try to instill these different values and, and um, you know, the relationships and um, our program with our standards. So um, he's constantly in there. And as I talk to him, even, even today, um, you know, he's just, I, I just continue to thank him for teaching me what he's taught me and, and giving me that opportunity down at Duke because um, I, I don't think there's a better one to learn under. We're on the Thunderwolves hotline with Niagara men's basketball coach Greg Paulus. Uh, after playing at Duke, you played that one year of quarterback at Syracuse for Doug Marone, who would later come and coach the Buffalo Bills. What did you learn from Coach Marone in that one season? Well, I, I, the, uh, the situation that we are um, a part of right now where we're trying to create that foundation, when I went to be the quarterback at Syracuse, um, Coach Marone took over a program that won 10 games in five years. And to see his vision, to see the work ethic, um, how he brought a team and a community together um, with his vision. Um, I was able to be a part of that, and, and that's something that I reflect on. And when I speak to him, uh, we always talk about and share stories about how he built the program and, and what were the accountability and how did he do that from on the field, off the field, within the program. And uh, that's certainly something that, as we're trying to uh, build this program, um, you know, we're working on the, on the steps that he took with Syracuse football. Some of those things that I was able to learn there, I've been able to share 
um, with our program and, and utilize with our program. Now going back to your high school career at Christian Brothers Academy in Syracuse, you were New York State Mr. Basketball, McDonald's All-American, a top-ranked recruit, but also Gatorade National High School Player of the Year in football. How difficult for you was that decision uh, picking a sport for college? Well, it, it was uh, it was difficult. Um, you know, I was fortunate to have some great options. And, um, you know, as I was going through the recruiting process, for me what it came down to was uh, the first love with basketball. So I think for me it was deciding between – the sport of football or the sport of basketball. And, and the first love, uh, you know, won out. And then it became, you know, how do we go through some of the schools that we like? And uh, ultimately just, you know, my relationship with Coach K, I always knew I wanted to be a coach. Um, the opportunity to get a great education from there and, and uh, just be around some, some amazing people is what led me to Duke. So um, that, that, that was a little bit of the process, but um, – you know, I think that looking back on it now and all the things that I've learned from that experience, um, you know, would certainly do that again uh, if we had to make the same decision. Coming back then to the sport of football, playing that year at Syracuse, trying out with the New Orleans Saints, did you know that basketball coaching would be in your future or, or there may have been a path where you would have been a football player, a football coach uh, after playing at Duke? I, I always wanted to coach basketball. And, um, I, you know, ever since I was a little kid, that was – what I always told people that I wanted to do, um, having, having that opportunity to play at Syracuse and play with New Orleans Saints, um, I, I didn't even know that that was uh, possible. I was told after my senior year of the Sweet 16, we ended up losing to Villanova in 2009, uh, that there was a rule within the NCAA that you can change sports um, and, and I could potentially play football. And um, the way that that worked out was the uh, Green Bay Packers ended up calling to see if I would work, work out um, with, with one of their scouts to see if that was something they were interested in. And as I was able to go through that tryout, um, that itch and the love for football just kind of came back and um, that opportunity presented itself. So um, it, it wasn't planned that way to do the basketball football. But uh, what, a, what a neat opportunity and a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I just wanted to take advantage of it and to, to be a part of and go back home to Syracuse and get my degree from Newhouse and play football and uh, be a part of Coach Marone's team is um, just, just, just very, very grateful to him for giving me that opportunity. Now, when you're evaluating high school players on the recruiting trail, do you like multi-sport athletes or have we gotten to a point, especially with Division One basketball players, where you need to play that sport year-round to – prepare yourself for division one basketball i i get i get asked the question more you know hey what do you think about you know my son doing this or you know playing two sports or playing one sport and um, i've gotten that phone call a, a number of times each year um, when i'm recruiting there's certain things that we look for um, someone that loves the game of basketball um, someone that, that that has a good work ethic and and then obviously there's certain skill sets and character traits that we want to have within our program um, that we're looking for. Um, so I wouldn't say we're not going to recruit someone if they play two sports or they only play one sport. Um, but I, I think that from my experience, um, I, I, I think you can learn so much about yourself, uh, the ability to connect with different people, different leadership skills, the intangibles, um, just the opportunity to make relationships uh, by playing two sports and the, the adversity you go through and the, the successes you get to celebrate with your teammates. Um, so I, I, I believe for me it's the right decision. 
I know every situation is different, but um, you know that that's that's the story that I tell when I get those phone calls. Uh, when it comes to recruiting, I know you can't comment on anybody specifically, but I've noticed I cover local high school basketball, and I've seen things that you have been very active in recruiting local players, which is different than the previous Niagara staff. How important is that as you build this program, recruiting Western New York and then extending into your hometown area in Syracuse and the players in Albany, Central New York? Recruiting is important. Um, We we do it every single day. Um, We talk about it every single day, and you go out every week. And, um, you know, the ability to um, bring in talent, whether it's local, the state of New York, um, you know, around around Niagara, we believe that we have an unbelievable opportunity here. And there is such a strong, rich tradition of basketball success. There's been a lot of local um, success stories, um, you know, playing for Niagara, getting a degree, having success afterwards. And, and, and we want to continue to uh, be visible within the community. We want to continue to be active on the on the recruiting trail, and, and we're going to continue to work on that. And that's something that um, when we bring kids to campus and families, we want them to know that they can have a great experience, get a great degree, have an opportunity to play for a special program. And, and that's something that, um, you know, from, from the second we've gotten this job, um, we're, we're going to continue to work at that and, and uh, be visible. All right, you're on the road this weekend, Niagara at Monmouth, one of the other teams at the top of the standings, and St. Peter's on Sunday, then Niagara's next home game back Friday, January 31st against Marist. That Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, we'll take on Quinnipiac. You know, I know you uh, want to get better every day, get better every game. What do you need from your team to continue improving on this three-game win streak? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's continue to, to um, play together. It's important for us to, to play with the edge. Um, you know, that we've been playing with, that, that competitive spirit that is contagious, um, you know, to continue to just work. Um, you know, I think it's for, for the Monmouth game specifically, that's the next game. I, I haven't watched any St. Peter's film. Um, I think it's important for um, us to, to stop them in transition. Uh, they're one of the top teams in the league in transition offense. Um, they have a very dynamic uh, set, of, set of perimeter players that can really score it. Um, offensively, they do a great job forcing turnovers, so um, that will be a uh, category that will be interesting to watch. Um, who can force the other team into more turnovers, and and who can take care of the basketball? Um, but but for us, I just want us to continue to um, learn how to build our habits, and then and then not forget uh, about what allowed us to have a little bit of success because we have a lot lot of work to go. Um, a long, a long road of continued work, but um, I'm excited about the direction we're heading in, and and it's fun to watch our guys continue to uh, believe and buy in and and, uh, and and see the progress with them. So hopefully we can continue to keep it going, and and uh, would like to encourage you know all of the the community to to come out and continue to support. We support certainly appreciate that, and and former players, alumni, anybody that may be listening, uh, would love to have you back on campus and and continue to grow our program. Now, Monmouth coached by another great New York State high school basketball player, King Rice, but also a North Carolina basketball player. How much of that old Duke-North Carolina rivalry comes back into when you're coaching against the Tar Heel? <laughs> well, you know what? They, they do a few things that North Carolina uh, has done over the years, and, and every time we see them, I, I think one way or the other, it typically comes up to Carolina and Duke, and um, you know, hopefully we, we get a chance to see him you know, after Duke wins so we can we can say that, but there's there's certainly a love for, for his alma mater that he has and a love that I have for my alma mater. And, 
Um, it, it's one of the best rivalries in sports, and um, I, I know that what he learned from North Carolina, what I've learned from Duke, is, is certainly with us as 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 men, as uh, within our families, and, and within our, and within our coaching. So um, I, I'm sure it will come up, and uh, he's done a great job with his team. Obviously, they're off to a great start in conference play. All right, uh, Greg Paulus, Niagara men's basketball coach, thank you for joining us today on the Thunderwolves Hotline. Well, jo- Jonah, thanks for having me on, and uh, if you ever make it over to a game, please please stop by and say hello. We'd love to have you, and, and uh, once again, just want to thank you for having me on. All right. That was Greg Paulus on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Come be part of the winning team at Niagara County Community College. Niagara County Community College also playing home games in men's and women's basketball tonight. Both of these teams are in the top 15 nationally. So all the Niagara teams are winning, Joe. You got to get up to a game. Well, I'll bring Joe up to a game, and we'll uh, we'll say hi to Greg Paulus while we're there. I haven't been to a college basketball game in a long time. Used to go to Siena games a bunch back in the Albany area. Siena and all U Albany. The, the Gallagher Center can really get rocking when Niagara's playing well and it's full. It hasn't really been like that much in the last few seasons, and except when they play Canisius. But I coached them, or I, I'm sorry, I covered them during the years when Joe Mahalik went to the NCAA tournament in 2005, 2007, had a really good 2009 team, had a lot of really good teams, but that mm-hmm. team set the wins record. And when that gym fills up, it's 2,200 people, and they really get into it, especially with the fast-paced way that those Purple Eagles teams played and this team's guard-oriented playing similar to that way. So it's a fun game when Niagara is good and playing well. It's not necessarily the same atmosphere when they're not playing well, but they're, they're playing well of late. Canisius as well has won three in a row and kind of gotten back into that, uh, the middle of the MAC standings after a, a tough start. And they were, I think they were 0-4 in the MAC before that. What's the more fun place? Well, Canisius is having trouble with attendance and the atmosphere. Even when Canisius plays well, which they have done the last two years, mm-hmm. it hasn't, other than when they play Niagara or UB, it isn't uh, the same atmosphere. Now, the Gallagher Center is a much more fun experience when uh, when it's full and Niagara's playing well because you don't really get that at Canisius no matter how well they're playing. And UB is a great atmosphere when that gym is full and they're playing well. It doesn't always fill up, especially when the students aren't on campus. And then the best atmosphere in the Big Four is it's got to be down at Bonaventure at the Riley yeah. Center. I, I gotta, I've been meaning to make a road trip down there at some point. Just wish w- winters weren't so It's a tough drive so in the here. winter. It's a tough drive in the winter. You want to go when the students are there because that's when the place really rocks. But really, whether Bon is good or bad, they get four or 5,000 people there, and they're very into it. If you're going to a local college basketball game just for the atmosphere, uh, you got to make that trip to Bonna. Mm-hmm. Bonna, by the way, has a big game tonight. They're playing at number 7 Dayton on the road. Nice. Coming off a loss, but Bonna has won 11 of their last 13 games. UB, we're going to talk to Jim Whitesell coming back after the break. They've also won four in a row. So all of the local basketball teams starting to pick up some steam and play pretty well. Nice. UB women as well have been playing well. like to see it. All right. We'll be back on the Tim Graham Show after this break with UB men's basketball coach Jim Weitzel. This is the Tim Graham Show. So you're telling me there's a chance. Tim's discounted prices shot out of the ground by premium prices. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Take your calls at 270-1270. On Twitter at 1270-TheFan.
Hi, Jim. It's Bobby Cole from Jim Graham Show. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. Excellent. We're just got to We're back on the Tim Graham Show. I'm Jonah Bronstein sitting in for Tim Graham. Joined by Joe Yurden of The Athletics. Say hi to the people, Joe. Everybody. It's nice to be here. This show sponsored by CTBK, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. You can find them on Twitter at CTBK45. We just got off the Thunderwolves hotline with Greg Paulus, Niagara men's basketball coach. They've won three in a row to pull into a tie for first place in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. Then over in the other MAC, we have Buffalo. They've won four in a row to get to four and two in their conference after losing the first two. They're kind of right there, a game out of first place in the East Division. And now we have Buffalo head coach Jim Weitzel joining us on the Thunderwolves hotline again. How you doing, Jim? Good, Jonah. How you doing? I'm doing good. Long time no see. Yeah, it's been about uh, 14 hours, 16 hours. <laughs> I saw you last night. Yeah, so uh, yeah, good to be on. Yeah, I was out there last night for the win against Western Michigan, which was your 400th coaching victory through your career, uh, rising up to the Division Three, Division Two, II, Division One ranks. Uh, what does that accomplishment mean to you and your family and, and, and kind of your coaching family, the players and the assistants that you have worked with over the years? Well, I think it means that, you know, it's it's been a great opportunity for me, uh, you know, and my wife, Connie. We were, I mean, Elmhurst College is uh, a long time ago when I coached Division Three in the old CCIW, which was kind of the ACC of uh, Division Three. And, uh, you know, it was really a good league. A lot of national champions came out of that league. And so it was a great opportunity to kind of cut my teeth and learn how to build a program. And I had, you know, administrators are really obviously were very patient with me and uh, helped me find a way kind of just how to coach. And then I got to Lewis University Division II school for 12 years. And, and then we had some really good basketball teams there. And, uh, you know, great guys. Actually, Angus Thorpes, who was on my staff, we worked together at Lewis, AT, and uh, – a lot of great staff members, administrators, and, and obviously I had outstanding players. And then with Loyola, et cetera. So it's the same thing, but I think coming here has really been great because I had the opportunity to work for Nate Oates for, for four years. I really learned a lot with Nate, how to, you know, the up Temple style that he liked so much. And then we kind of had a great group of guys. And uh, so it's, it's been, I've been very blessed, very grateful. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, all the places I've had the opportunity. So. When you, when you have that number, I guess, it's more really about all the other people that surround you and really have been able to help you. And I've certainly had a ton of people like Nate, Nick Majera, Steve Lavin, Jim Cruz, all those guys that worked under the last eight years and learned a lot of basketball from. And then just uh, an incredible amount of good players that, uh, that really helped, uh, obviously, in the process. And really, those are the guys. Those are the stars. Are the, the guys doing it. And our group is getting better and better. I'm excited about that. Our team is improving so uh, we want to had a good practice today now we got to put another one good one tomorrow but uh, get ready for Friday's night games against Kent State but I'm excited about uh, some of the process we're doing now we're, we're starting to figure out some things we want to do and get more and more consistent you've won four in a row uh, seven of your last nine games uh, started off 0-2 in conference play and have been playing really well of late what's been the difference for your team in the last four games compared to those first two uh, losses in the conference 
I think it's been really three things, Jonah, and we've been kind of harping on it. The guys are probably finally uh, kind of getting it, I think, a little bit. But number one, it's our defense. If we want to be able to be a good running team, which all our guys want to do, and our fans included, we've got to play good defense and get the opportunity to run out and uh, and try to start a transition game. Number two, I think, is has been taking care of the ball. Like last night, we only had six turnovers. So we've been sporadic in that. I mean, we've had, uh, you know, right around Christmas time, we were averaging like 19 over a four or five game stretch. And we were high in the assists, but high in the turnovers. So it's negating all the good play we were doing on the offensive end, you know. And I think the third thing is shot selection. Uh, trust the offense, move the ball more. It's not about how fast you shoot it. Um, it's about, you know, getting a quality possession every time down the floor. So I think those are three factors we haven't changed in terms of, what we've been stressing the guys, but I do think the guys, after going through it and actually starting out 0-2 in the league, um, they can see, like, hey, look, you know, we've got to make some adjustments here. And, you know, some of those things, yeah, we got to clean up as a, as a group. And the, like, we keep talking about the ownership in our team. Well, it's our team, and we, all of us have got to do this together. So the guys have done a much better job, I think, with that is, is day in, day out doing it. Now, understanding though, that the league is so good and so balanced, and there's so many good teams, you just have to – then the other thing is focus in every night on just that's the game. Don't worry about anything else. That's the game. And don't get full of yourself. Stay humble and just keep working hard and and uh, and be mentally prepared every night. I think that's the other thing. We've had some games where we, you know, early in the season we'd come off a big win and then we'd come in and not play. I thought it was a, the effort that we needed to do or the concentration level. So uh, those have gotten better. Those have definitely improved. You're 13-6 and six overall. Uh, a year ago at this time, uh, you guys were 17-2. and two. I don't know if this is fair. I know there's some UB fans that, you know, wanted to see that kind of run again or want to see that every year. Was that unrealistic with graduating five seniors and the changes that you guys went through to be at that level again? Or how much did you have to temper expectations coming into the season? Well, you know, I, my thing is obviously you want to win every game. I mean, I, you know, I feel that way just like our players do. So, you know, I don't want to temper any expectations. We want to, you know, have, uh, you know, people excited about our program and, and thinking like, hey, look, we want to win every night and have a championship program. So we feel like that we knew it was going to be a little bit more of an adjustment just because of the experience coming back. And uh, it didn't surprise me that we were up and down, you know what I mean, at times. You know what I mean? That didn't, didn't shock me. I think we've had some really good wins in the non-conference and obviously conference. I'm thrilled with any win. You know, just because the conference is that way. And I think you see that across the country. I think this is a year um, you see in college basketball that almost anyone can beat anyone. I think, uh, you know, I think you've seen that across the board almost every night or, you know, several times a week. So I think part of that is uh, not unusual for college basketball. And so I think for us is just, just worry about today and uh, get better and then uh, worry about the next game. I think that, that takes care of itself. So, I don't worry about that. I just kind of like, hey, look, you're here in the moment and stay in the moment. And, uh, you know, that last year's team was, you know, an incredible group. And I think this year's group, it's, it's going to take a little bit. You know, it's going to take a process to uh, keep getting better. And just, um, as we say with our guys, stay with it all the time and just try to win the next game. Yeah, I remember Nate Oates saying at the NCAA tournament, uh, talking about the team winning 32 games, and he said, I don't know if I'll ever win 32 games again in my life. And it kind of really put into perspective how special last year's group yeah. and that run was. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, to be people, I mean, to 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 win thirty two games at any level, you know, I mean, whether you're at whether you're at a blue blood like a Duke or a Kentucky or whatever, is incredibly hard. But certainly at the mid major level, uh, you know, that's that's harder. Much that's I would say that's really really incredibly hard to do. And so that group was. Uh, very specially and had a lot of experience. And those guys went through some growing pains. As I tell our players, you know, the four-year guys, like C.J. Massenberg and, and Nick Perkins, they had a lot of success, but they also had, you know, they had a lot of learning experiences. And uh, we talk to our guys about that all the time. The thing that, you know, Nick and C.J. and Dante Carruthers and, you know, Jeremy Harris and Montel McCray, those guys really had good bounce-back ability, you know. And they also learned, their learning curve was very good. And so we've talked to him about that more than, you know, wins and losses. Just, hey, look, you know, how, do, how does a really good player uh, get better? What do you learn from? What do you mentally do when you watch tape? What do you do when physically you're out there, whether it's taking care of your body, whether it's practice reps, whether it's uh, practice itself? All those things come together. And I think that's something we have been able to draw off with our team, not to be over the top talking about how good those guys were, just like, hey, look, you guys all have a great respect to what those guys did here. You know, why did they win? You know, not only were they very good players, but they were special teammates. But along with it, they also kind of figured out the answers to the test. You know, and they, and they kept gathering information and never, they never stopped learning that group. So that, that's one thing we've talked a lot about to our guys about that team. You have four players on the team that are transfer additions that either didn't play last year or, in Josh Mabala's case, played very sparingly. How much was that a factor in some of the up and down play early on and these guys shaking off the rust and getting used to playing each other along with, you know, Jonathan Williams, Ronaldo Segu being guys that didn't play as many minutes last year as they're playing now. Yeah, I think it was big. I mean, like, you know, Josh and LaQuil Hardnett, LaQuil, you know, redshirted at Cincinnati last year. So he's a redshirt freshman. So, and then he had a hamstring pull. So he was out for a lot uh, practice time. So literally he was learning on the fly Brock Bertram broke his foot right before the, uh, the Dartmouth game. And uh, so we were all of a sudden patch-mealing some uh, things together in terms of uh, uh, that spot. The good thing was I do think it sped things up for us now, playing those two guys heavy minutes. I mean, they had to play through foul trouble, and we went down to Charleston. We played a very good Harvard team. Uh, we played at Vanderbilt. We you know, we played at DePaul. So, you know, we, we played a challenging schedule. And I think they learned a lot, like, uh, in the first semester about, you know, being consistent, being ready, understanding the technique and things like that. And so that really helped. For Jonathan and Rondo, yeah, you're, this is a great point because both those guys last year were like our eighth and ninth man. But along with it, the role was, hey, come in and give us a punch. And they really did a really good job in the second semester helping us that. But it wasn't a thing where we they knew and we knew, hey, look, we're not asking you to come out and play 20, 20 to 25 minutes and and uh, put the, the load on your back. We're asking that now. I mean, those guys, we're going to say, look, you guys are both starters. Rondo comes out the bench, but we play him starters minutes. And, you know, Jonathan was just coming up player of the week. We, we need you guys to be heavy contributors. We need you guys to play heavy minutes and have your assignments. So that's a big adjustment for a player, you know what I mean, going from there. And then Antoine Johnson and Gabe Grant, both those kids sat out last year. And uh, um, so you can see Antoine now starting to really, really play the, the, the way we kind of envisioned there. And then, you know, Gabe gave us some good minutes last night. So I think, 
all that is good taking the rust off and also my jumping from uh, one seat to another, which is, is uh, a lot being asked there. You know, and then we've also asked Javon Graves and Devontae Jordan to be a bigger role. You know, even though those guys started last year, well, now we're asking you to be more what we call alpha dogs or be leaders. And also, um, you know, we need you guys to be leading men every night. With Antoine Johnson, uh, your starting shooting guard, senior transfer from Middle Tennessee, uh, he was struggling shooting the ball for much of the season, but really picked it up, I think, shooting over 50% in MAC play after being under 40% prior to that. Uh, but he's shooting less often, more efficiently. Is that really just shaking off the rust, or is he playing any differently or better in specific ways? No, he's playing better. I think the big thing is, is that defensively we were really happy with him all year. Uh, we sat down with him a lot and talked to him about, hey, shot selection. It's uh, And I think our team's improved that area, kind of what we talked about earlier, is like sometimes we're, we're, we're shooting it too quick, and if we move it a little bit more, you're going to get a better shot than what you already have. Show some patience with it. And Antoine's a good driver, too. We felt like, hey, you're settling for a lot of jump shots, and you're a good finisher in the lane. You're a strong kid, and uh, we need you to get some lane play, you know, paint touches. It doesn't have to be – uh, post ups could be by drives and that. And then last night, I thought, you know, defensively, he did a heck of a job last night. You know, he was assigned the uh, young man named Flowers, who's been averaging 21 points a game for the majority of the game. And he's he's really delivered that way. But you're right. He's he's finding his uh, comfort level. He's shooting over 50% from the floor and about 33% from three and good from the line. So he's gone from kind of uh, early in the season struggling to now he's he's, you know, uh, doing the things we thought we saw last year at times when our scout team was what he could do. So, uh, and I think he's really been persistent in terms of his attitude and work ethic. He's, just, um, you know, he knew his struggle, but you know, it's like any other player. Like he's back in the gym at night shooting and working on his game instead of dropping his head. You know, I think at times last early in the year it was really, you know, demoralizing. Like that ball, nothing's going down, even though I'm taking great shots. And uh, you know, we said, look, those are good shots. Keep taking those. You know, so. Really pleased with uh, kind of really his work ethic and his attitude and his hanging in there uh, part of it. And you can see it's made a big difference for us. He's, uh, you know, last five games been over 13 points a game and shooting the ball, you know, over uh, 50%, almost 53% from the floor. So it's really helped us. I want to ask you about a player, uh, Trevon Fagan. He injured his knee in the offseason. It was thought he'd be out for the season, but he has gotten healthier. You know, where are you with his – his health and evaluating that and whether he will be able to play this season. He's getting close to being able to like, feel like he's confident. I told him, I said, look, here's where you're at right now. I mean, we've got guys in front that are playing well. Uh, you know, Josh LaQuill, uh, we've got uh, Brock Bertram uh, now back. Um, and, you know, Jonathan Williams is playing well. So we didn't want to burn a year without him feeling really confident. He's been practicing much, much better those last three weeks. So we just kind of said each week we're going to sit down and talk, evaluate his progress, his confidence level, and also his health. I mean, obviously the health is number one, and, and our training staff and our medical people feel really good. He's done a great job in rehab, really worked hard, and has really matured in terms of like uh, just, you know, as a teammate and understanding what the big picture is here. So we're just kind of taking it week by week. Each week we, me and him sit down and say, hey, how do you feel? Um, it, you know, and, and here's where I'm at too, as a coach. So we're keeping that communication lines open. So 
really happy with Trey. We're just kind of like uh, right now we're we're probably in a process right now or Friday. We're not planning on playing him unless something came up injury-wise or sickness. But I think he's getting closer to the point like, hey, Coach, if you need me, I'm ready to go. But I'm also cognizant to say, hey, look, you know, uh, we want to make sure that you're really ready to go. We don't want to burn your year on just a couple of minutes of play. And then that person comes back that's been playing really well for us, you know. And uh, so uh, he gets the big picture there. So um, we'll see how it goes. But each week it's kind of a weekly uh, communication conference with the two of us. And we just sit down and talk. I noticed today you're on the National Council for the Coaches vs. Cancer program. This is a Suits and Sneakers week. You were wearing some nice blue Nikes with your suit last night. Um, could you tell our audience why that cause is so important to you? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think obviously everyone that's listening knows someone or has a family or a dear friend that's uh, been affected by cancer. So I think the National Association of Basketball Coaches, the best thing that we do and I'm a, a proud member of that, is, is, you know, millions and millions of dollars have been uh, fundraised um, for cancer research. And obviously, uh, you know, that, that is a, you know, a big thing for every, every, each and every one of us. I'd love to see uh, 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 us in the United States. Obviously, we've made great strides in our research, but it'd be great in our lifetime to, to wipe out cancer. And I think that's one of the things that with athletics you can – put that out there obviously my brother sean uh it seems like yesterday but four years ago he passed away uh uh, my first year at buffalo from brain cancer which there's not uh you know brain cancer geoblastoma is what sean passed away with is uh is a really rare form of cancer it uh, doesn't have um a life expectancy more than about 18 months you really have to be uh very fortunate to uh go there and sean was about as good as health as uh, anyone I know, um, and uh, a young father, and just um, you know, obviously uh, uh, very close growing up together, and and so it certainly affected our family uh, drastically and traumatically, and so it's, it's probably not a day I don't think about him, and and certainly uh, I think this is a wonderful cause that that we do bring some awareness, bring some fun. It's kind of funny to see the coaches run around in sneakers with their ties on, and uh, but also bring some great awareness to. Uh, Anything we can do, whether it's cancer research or education or fundraising, anything like that, I'm, I'm proud to be on the board. And any way I can help uh, in a small, small way, I'm, I'm happy to do. You know, I wonder why, especially the head coach who's standing the whole game, why wouldn't you wear sneakers every game? It seemed like that would be more comfortable. Yeah, the old, well, you remember Don Nelson used to do that. I remember he coached the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I remember he used to coach Majerus when I worked with him. He, he said, no, he would. Uh, was kind of the first guy to wear the tennis shoes, kind of like like coaching shoes, tennis shoes. So uh, when I worked for Steve Lavin, he had done that. Uh, he did a little out of superstition. He he wore them out on the coaches' first cancer game, and they started playing well. And he made the whole staff wear the Air Force Ones uh, for for about a year and a half. <laughs> Finally, he he went back to dress shoes. But uh, coaches will do some crazy things there. But yeah, I think. Uh, I think it's kind of a cool thing to do, and I think uh, a lot of the uh, the coaches like it. I think it's, it, it brings a neat uh, focus on uh, what the cause is. And each and every program, I think, across the United States is something different to it. So, and I know our ladies' program does a lot uh, on the KYAO, um weekend, which I think is coming up for them pretty soon. They're all in pink and that. So uh, I think it's a good vehicle, and 
hopefully it just continues to go there and, and we make a lot of progress with the fight against cancer. All right, Jimmy, you got home game against Kent State on Friday. Go to Akron on Tuesday. Akron's one of the teams in first place in the MAC East Division. What do you need to see from your team to keep this winning streak going and keep playing well? I think we got to play uh, with a high energy, continue to play with good confidence and great focus. I think that's one thing. You know, you want to play motion, and I think our team has had that. And also, uh, but you also have to play with you know really good focus. Um, during the game. And I thought in the second half we had that, that I thought at times, I thought we played hard in the first half, but our focus and our concentration has got to get better. We had a lot of missed assignments in the first half. So that's the thing I want to see us, you know, really ramp up, you know, on Friday night. Hopefully, I know a lot of our students are starting to come back into into Buffalo, and and I would love to see a lot of them come on back. I mean, our fan base, our season ticket has been awesome uh, there. And if we can get our student body back or part of them back, it would be great. great. And, games on national TV, and uh, it'd be great to have people in the community come out. It's a 6.30 start, and so, uh, you know, you can get home early, not too late, and uh, really come on out. Kent State and have always had some great games, great respect for the program. They're a perennial 20-win winner, and uh, we're going to have to really play lights out on that one, and I think this, you know, that's what we need to do. I, we've talked a lot about playing well at home, play with the energy we want. That's This team is still learning how to do that, and uh, so our fans have really been instrumental in terms of when our guys have played well. So come on out and, and really, you know, help our guys win and uh, play with great energy on Friday night would be uh, uh, a wonderful thing. And you got a Super Bowl prediction? You know, I don't know. I, I was hoping Bills and Packers. That's what I was hoping for. Uh, I think, uh, man, I don't know. I, I, I think... San Francisco beat Green Bay so bad, I was surprised. I'm probably leaning towards Kansas City just because I grew up in the Midwest, but uh, I'd like to see probably Kansas City win it. Uh, that's my thought, but in terms of who I'd like to see win it. But uh, uh, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll, I'll probably watch a little bit of it, but uh, probably mostly be concentrating on who we got the next game. All right, well, I appreciate you taking some time to join us on the Thunderwolves hotline here on the Tim Graham Show. Thanks, Joan. I appreciate it. That was UB men's basketball coach Jim Weitzel on the Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of the winning team at Niagara Community College. This is the Tim Graham Show presented by CTBK. We're going to take a quick break and come back for one last segment. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. All right, we'll be, we're back on the Tim Graham Radio Show, presented by CTBK. Shampo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. We're going to be out of here at 6 for the preview for the Syracuse basketball game. They play Notre Dame tonight. Syracuse has won three in a row. But the big game, if you're watching ESPN, the only game that matters tonight is New Orleans Pelicans against San Antonio Spurs, two teams that are outside of the playoff race. But Zion Williamson will be making his debut. Number one pick out of Duke, where Greg Paulus went. And he'll be playing his first game for the Pelicans. Joe Yurden, Sabres writer for the Athletic, New Orleans Pelicans fan. 
It's true. How excited are you to see Zion Williams play tonight? I'm geeked, man. I I was shocked when they won the lottery. I was so ecstatic, especially after all the you know Davis drama. It was it was so wild to have that put aside, and then it's like, well, all right, Davis, get out the door. We got Zion time, so now it's finally time. I was I mean I was watching NBA preseason games just to you know, try to get a look at him and. And of course, it's game against the Knicks where he, he hurts his knee, and it's like, yeah, well, let's keep him away from the Knicks. Let's not <laughs> let's keep the Knicks away from everything. But man, I'm excited. This this team's playing pretty well now. Like they've won 11 of the last 16. They had a horrible start. They won six what six six and 20 to start. I mean, it's ugly. But like they're finally playing the the style Gentry wants. Brandon Ingram looks amazing. Lonzo Ball looks like he's starting. He's figured his stuff out. They got some guys. They got some guys, and you know, you make a franchise-altering trade like that, it's going to take some time. But, but man, I mean, <clears throat> Zion getting in there now, it's like, all right, let's see. Maybe they can make a run here and get into the playoffs. I, I know most of the West is set, but that eighth spot, it's like eight teams chasing it right now. So it's going to be fun. Now, what do you make of being a guy that covers the NHL mm-hmm. and – even when Zion Williamson was at Duke, this was just nonstop on ESPN. Yeah. How much they covered him. It's sort of like LeBron. You know, do you think it merits that being a fan of the Pelicans? Or, you know, how do you feel about the saturation of Zion Williams coverage Zion Williamson coverage on ESPN? I, I think I think that's come with the turf though. I mean, Duke's gonna get a ton of airtime if they're good. You know, Duke's usually good, but they're going to get a ton of airtime anyways. But when they when a team like Duke gets a superstar player, I mean that doesn't really happen that much i mean duke's always a they get guys i mean it's it's not let's not bury the point it's not like they don't get guys and they're just the you know the the gritty gutty all-stars they get dudes brandon ingram was one of those dudes i mean Mm -hmm. they i mean they get really good players but a guy that's like transcendent duke doesn't get those guys they don't get the transcendent guy what christian leitner was he was really good back in the day but i don't know that he was a transcendent player he was probably the best college, you know, him and Shaq were like one and two as the best college guys then. But um, but as far as a guy who it was just like, wow, he's a legit superstar already. Like he was a superstar already at Duke. Like game one, he rolled up and it was just like, okay, well, this guy's incredible. To have a guy like that, after you had Davis, who was always had to fight for that superstar role. I think that comes with the turf of coming at the same time as LeBron and, and you know, in the era of LeBron. It's tough to punch through. And Davis, you know, it's New Orleans, so they weren't good. You know, they had to fight to make the playoffs all the time, so it's a little different. But Zion, Zion's taken to New Orleans, like, immediately. I mean, it, full, you know, full admission, I read Will Guillory at The Athletic constantly about how the Pelicans are doing and everything he's written about Zion really hammers home about what he means to the city and what it means to this team to have a guy that's full on like yes New Orleans I love it let's go I want to do this like he's showing up at LSU games he's going to University of New Orleans games he's going to all these you know these college basketball games he's you know at Saints playoffs games on the sidelines like he's full on like let's do this and I think that's different from the guys they've had in the past Chris Paul was you know he's kind of a weird dude you know Davis great player always fighting for that spotlight and you know had to go to LA to for him to feel like he had to go get it. But Zion's like, he's taken to it. And I think this the way this team is set up right now, it's kind of built around trying to accentuate what he does. Because they're going to, I mean, they already like to run. They already like to shoot a lot. But I think they're going to run a little bit more. And they're going to make sure that Zion gets open to be able to do these things. I mean, he's 
you know, he's what six eight, but he's like a big six eight. Like it's it's he's kind more of, like six six, but he's like Shaq in a six six body. Yeah, it's it. Uh, you're gonna laugh about this, but I was talking with Marco Scandella when he was here. Marco's a big NBA guy, and we got talking about Zion because we the only two guys probably in the entire hockey world in Buffalo that <laughs> want to talk NBA. But he was like, he's like, he's like that guy reminds me of Charles Barkley, and I go. That made me tilt my head, and I go, "That's a really I good observation." It. Larry Johnson, yeah, you know, where he's he's a big dude, but he's not an oversized dude. But he just bullies his way around. He's fast. He's athletic. We'll see what happens, you know, after the knee surgery. But I don't know. This is exciting. This is exciting to me because transcendent NBA stars go above and beyond the sport itself. You know, I mean, we see it with LeBron. We saw it. You know, Kobe was the same way. You know, Jordan. You want to go way back? You know, Jordan and Bird and Magic and all that stuff. But if you get a guy that's like supernova superstar, that's that's special, and that's the kind of guy I think New Orleans, New Orleans feels like they've got that guy. And man, the buildup sure feels like he does. But we'll see. I mean, knee. You know, redoing your knee for an NBA player is hard. All right, we got to get out of here. <laughs> Syracuse basketball. We're cutting into that pregame show. I want to thank Niagara men's basketball coach Greg Paulus, University of Buffalo men's. 